Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm very excited today. We have a very special guest, a friend of mine, recent student at Midwestern Seminary and an academic advisor. He just told me he advises people academically. Mr. Ross Ferguson. Ross, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. I think we should say straight off the bat, yeah. I'm not American. So Did I say you were American? No, but I think people need to be aware. <laughs> because they wouldn't be able to tell. They won't be able to tell. <laughs> we're just two regular American Joes having a conversation here, and, and they wouldn't be able to tell from your, your voice. Well, maybe they'll tell soon enough. <laughs> hey, you're, uh, you're, you're fresh off the boat. Are you? <laughs> How long have you been in this state? I was about to say, we, we do have planes in Scotland. We can fly. I know, but I like to picture you and your family coming over on a boat, like huddled around uh, a, a fire in a barrel and like uh, a, a ratty quilt wrapped around you. And you see the Statue of Liberty and you, and you look down at your daughters and say, girls, we're almost to Kansas City. Is that, in, is that how it went? Well, generally, we're now 300 years after that event. So, <laughs> okay. you know, we've been in the States now five months. Uh, we came over just before Christmas last year. Um, okay. So I still sound Scottish, but my kids are getting a little bit of an American twang. Oh, what are they doing? What are um, they saying? Well, generally, the rule is that they can speak American outside the house, but as soon as they walk through the front door, <laughs> we just have one phrase. We just say, Check your accent, and they have to change back into their UK accent. Oh um, wow! It's so that they, pronounced. They, yeah, exactly. They can just click a finger, and they can change it. Um, and all I say is, they seem to have managed to get a, a really whiny version of an American accent. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. I can't, I can't stand it. They've got to stop it as soon as they enter the home again. Now, were any of them? I know, like, you pastored a church in North Dakota once upon a time. Yes, I, I did. Okay, yes. w- were your daughters born then? Were they? Yeah, they were born now, okay. but they were. Two. My okay. twins were two years old, and my eldest was four. And to be honest, they don't really remember most right, of right. that time. Uh, the only thing I remember of North Dakota is six feet of snow in the winter, <laughs> and in the summer, no rain. So, um, yeah. you know, I pastored uh, in North Dakota for a year, and we spent a lot of time on planes with twin two-year-olds. So I don't recommend it for anyone okay. to fly that much with... Okay, but the children. accent changed, shift. that's just from this recent... That's just from this recent last going few to months. school and yeah. being around normal, feel, no, normal people. I feel like I need to listen to, like, <laughs> Alistair Begg in the house just so the kids will get the Scottish accent back again but um yeah yeah good man um what i'd love for you to do is 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 give us a little bit of your story um want to spend some time talking about that getting to know you and then i want to talk about ministry and mission um in scotland and maybe the uk in general but specifically in scotland and in the area that you were in um as well tell us a little bit about yourself how you came to know the lord kind of you know, Christian background, that sort of thing. Sure. Well, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, actually fairly far removed from Christianity completely. My father had quite a difficult childhood, quite a difficult life, had served in the Royal Air Force and the police, and just over the years had turned to alcohol to figure out life. So by the time I was born, he was uh, what we would classify as a functioning alcoholic. He was still holding down his job in the police but he wasn't really able to live life without alcohol. So I think it was the age of two, when I was two years old, he had had his second heart attack and had been medically retired out of the police. So when I was coming into this world, I wasn't coming into um, a, a kind of good home setting. We, we lived in the middle of nowhere in Scotland, uh, 
I'm laughing because you're going to laugh at this. Our entire heat source was one fire in the whole cottage. So okay. I was that huddled family yeah, in the corner. Right, But it wasn't fire. in a barrel. I it wasn't in a barrel. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, grew up in the middle of nowhere with a really sick father um, mm. who I only knew as drunk. He, he was never not drunk. Um, and we had to judge each day what type of drunkenness he would be. Is he the friendly one? Is he the grumpy one type thing? Uh, but throughout my childhood, he was quite a, a sick individual, just generally had a heart condition. And later in life, he went into multiple organ failure. So by the time I was seven or eight, we had to move as a family to a local city to get close to the hospital. I mean, it was that bad. It was, you are given three months to live. You need to be close to a hospital. So we moved out of the countryside into the city. And it's a very long story, so I'm going to cut it really short. But essentially, somebody shared the gospel with my father and in a day, he accepted Christ, stopped drinking, stopped smoking, and completely turned his life around. Wow. So you hear loads of stories about people, you know, detoxing and trying to get off something. For my dad, it was 24 hours, and then he didn't touch a drop again. Mm. And so as, as a seven, eight-year-old, you're looking on at this, this man you ultimately hate. You, you know, you don't like being around him, suddenly wanting to give you a hug and tuck you into bed and, you know, t- play table football with you and mm. all this sort of stuff. And... It was just crazy for me to watch that happen in front of me. I remember coming back uh, from a youth group. uh, This was when I was eight years old and just asking my dad, like, hey, how did this happen? How did you stop doing this? Like, I I enjoy being around you now. And at that moment, he shared the gospel with me and and the understanding that he had wasted his life uh, before Christ. And actually, Christ still even to that day, loved him. And so he shared the gospel with me and wonderfully led me to Christ. Um, Over the subsequent years afterwards, led my mother to Christ and my brother to Christ. So as a whole family, we went from just this kind of drunk, alcohol-fueled family to uh, a family serving Christ. Mm. Um, But what I would say is just because there is an amazing turnaround and the Holy Spirit can change someone's life and the gospel really impacts your life, that doesn't mean there isn't consequences that you then have to suffer from the previous life. So it was only five years after giving my life to Christ that my father passed away from essentially the um, the alcohol had ruined his organs. He had gone into multi-organ failure. And so when I was 13 years old, he passed away, kind of leaving myself, my brother, and my mother. That was kind of our, our family older, unit. You're yeah, the oldest? Okay. No, my brother's the oldest, okay, sorry. Gotcha. I'm the youngest. Um, and so... My teenage years, I would have said I spent most of my teenage years angry at God. You know, how can you save this family, save this individual, and then just rip it apart? Um, So I would have said my salvation wasn't rocked, but my joy of Christ was was kind of robbed from me, if that makes sense, in my own in my own life. But God God did a work on me, and and He allowed me time. He was patient with me to shout and rave at Him, you know, a few times to kind of get over the loss of Dad. Um, but then, I mean, I should accredit this to Christ, but it was really more my wife who, <laughs> who when I met her, she was kind of like, you're miserable. You need to be more happy. Um, mm. And so I became more happy individual because <laughs> I wanted to marry her. So, right, you know, right. you kind of have All to in do a day, that. right? 24 hours. Yeah, 24 just... <laughs> hours. Just click a switch. Um, so, yeah, life uh, is kind of history after that. Um, yeah. But essentially it was witnessing someone go from the worst person to the best person and knowing that can't happen without yeah. something else 
kind of coming into that person's life. That's wonderful. No, okay, so talk to me about meeting your wife and your and your family as well. Well, I met my wife at a homeless breakfast. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. which <laughs> Were either of one of you homeless? Nope. Okay. <laughs> but right. I, I like to just say that yeah, just to right. see what people's reaction yeah. is. Um, I did actually say that to somebody the other day, and they said, oh, oh, cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea cool. how to actually interact <laughs> with it. No, we uh, had a homeless breakfast at our uh, church. Huh. Um I'd been serving in it for a little while and had taken a break and I'd returned and I saw my wife sitting at a table, obviously not then my wife, <laughs> uh, saw her sitting at a table with eight or nine guys. They're all drunk. They're all high on drugs. And she's just chatting away with them, sharing the gospel, you know, pouring tea, proper British tea, none of this kind of weird <laughs> sweet tea that's in America. Uh-huh. There just goes like a thousand listeners because I said that. Uh, but I just saw her amongst all of those guys and I remember looking upon her going you have to be someone special to Mm. be able to just sit there share the gospel with guys that freak me out yeah but she seems to be able to do that um two and a half months later we were engaged um, wow. And this was when I was 17. Okay. Uh, I should I should mention, no one else approved of that engagement, but but we knew what we were doing, I, yeah, yeah. I think. And then a year later, we were married at 18, 19. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was similar to dad in the sense of I saw the gospel being lived out in someone's life, and, and mm. I was immediately attracted to, to that, um, yeah. to seeing that. Um, so, yeah, when we were 18, 19, we got married, and had no idea what we were doing. Um, I never advise people to get married at that age now. Okay. I, I still even remember not knowing how to pay bills. Like, we're meant to pay the internet provider. I, <laughs> right. I don't know how to do that, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, our first few years of marriage were interesting. Uh, but we've been married now uh, 14 years this summer. Uh, we have three wonderful girls. Leah, who is our eldest, she's about to turn 10. And then we have twin girls, Eve and Abby, who are just about to turn 8. And everyone asked me the question, hey, are you going to try for a boy? And I was like, I always say to them, I know how to count. I had one child, then I had two children. I'm not going to go for the danger of having three children. So I'm done. <laughs> I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. So, so my, uh, my, my little brother, he and his wife, they had three, and they decided they wanted to have one more, and the Lord gave them twins. So, yeah. so let's have one more and we're done and now they have five yeah it nearly broke me having twins it's like it's just we always say this if, if your marriage can survive 1am two babies screaming at you yeah. then hey you can manage anything there that you comes go. your way but twins run in your family or in Miriam's family in Miriam's family Miriam's mom is a twin okay so. it's it's interesting how that works so like my my grandfather is a was a twin his uh, they had five kids, but my mom is a twin, so his his daughter's uh, a twin. My mom's twin had twins, and now my brother had twins. So they say sometimes it skips a generation, but in our case, it like no, it's like every every generation down the line has had twins. Right. For me, family. it's just me and my brother, and he yeah. lives in Ireland, and you know we get on, but we also yeah. don't play any board games together because <laughs> okay. <laughs> generally, if we want to continue to love each other's yeah. brothers. We can't play games together. Um, okay. So there's there's a interesting Christmas and. You play? Is there a is there a UK version of Monopoly? Do you, there do, is. Do you every... Land on Loch Ness or something. <laughs> what, what happens? There? Oh yeah, it just goes straight to the stereotype of Loch Ness. You know, there <laughs> That's is not a stereotype. Look, I, I'm a big cryptozoology guy, so this it's exactly not a joke. I'm I'm legitimately interested in Loch Ness. Yeah, just so you know, it's yeah. not real. What's not real? Loch Ness. I, I mean, I just, it's a real place. Yeah, but the you're actual about the monster. monster is not real. Well, that's what you said. I, 
That's you trying to keep people away from it. <laughs> yeah, no, we can't play Monopoly. There was one very bad Christmas, and oh, that's it. Um, like flipping the table it, over and over. The that whole thing. board got flipped up. There was a, accusations of cheating. Oh, my, my brother and I didn't talk to each other. You know, this is a loving Christian home, yeah, but, right. you know, our salvation was not rocked, but, you yeah. know, our brotherly love towards each other okay. may have skipped a few hours. So. Okay. Hey, tell me a little bit about being called to ministry. What was what was that like? How did you know you wanted to be a pastor? Yeah, my wife always says that she didn't marry a pastor. Like, that, mm-hmm. that's, that was not our intention to go into ministry. I had done an economics degree. Um, I done my master's in economics, fully in, um, intending to go into investment banking. Um, at the time, it was the uh, credit crunch. That's what we called it in the UK. I don't know if you call it here, the financial crisis, whatever yeah, you right. want to call it. Um, so I started working in recruitment and investment banking. So my job was to hire um, managing directors and things like that for investment banks and insurance companies. Did that for a few years, enjoyed it, was was quite good at it, but didn't really like the environment that we were in. So we were just always around a kind of financial conversation. So you would see the same people keep coming back saying, hey, I want more money, more money, more money. And I just, I recognized there was just no satisfaction found in for me in this yeah. world. And so I'd been laid off twice because it was just this kind of difficult environment with the financial crisis. I remember turning to my wife going, hey, I can go back into this industry again for the third time, but I think this is going to be risky for us. I don't think there's a career here anymore. So I took six months off work. Um, my wife actually went back to work. She was a nurse, so she went back to work. Um, <laughs> she was pregnant with twins at the time, so it was kind of like, hurry up and make your decision of what you're doing because <laughs> right. these these children are coming. Yeah. Um, so we um, we took six months to really consider what what I wanted to do in the future. I talked to several other pastors at the time, and I knew there was this kind of in, inward thought process that I should take the skills that I've got and take them into church ministry. But I wasn't quite convinced. I, you know, I was only 21, 22. I wasn't quite sure what I was doing in life. So I pulled in a kind of trusted few individuals and just had a chat with them. And they all said the same thing, which was they had recognized the skill set that I had been talking about and, and suggested that I go into church ministry. At the time, they were saying, hey, you should get some training and you should go. Uh, <laughs> I was fairly arrogant and I was like, hey, I know what I'm doing. I, <laughs> I, I've seen enough pastors preach a sermon. Yeah. I can jump straight into this. And so <clears throat> we took on a, a kind of training position with a very small church, way west coast of Scotland. Um, you only go there because you got lost, essentially. Oh, as, wow. as far west in Scotland as you can go on mainland. Okay. And took a small church there and spent a year there essentially learning that I knew nothing <laughs> and I really needed to figure things out. But for me, it was that realization that there was just so many people in the world wandering around in their jobs, not really satisfied about anything in life. And I realized for me, I was in the same position, but I had also the gospel. So mm. why was I wasting my time somewhere else when I could you know, get deep into church ministry and to bringing the gospel to people's lives? So being in church ministry now for uh, about nine years, nearly 10 years in total, we started with a church plant, then into this kind of small um, local church. But I've served in Scotland. I've served in England. I've served in North Dakota. That was <laughs> thrown in there in the middle somewhere. Um, and now just taking a, a little bit of a break uh, from church ministry, certainly, um, to pursue my MDiv here at Midwestern Seminary. Yeah, I want to ask about that. But first, I want to know what 
was the draw to North Dakota? Like, how did you go from <laughs> UK to North Dakota? Did you know somebody there? Or what? Uh, not really. Um, so I was associate pastor in a, f- a fairly large church in the UK. It was about 300 people. And my time was com- coming to an end in, in that church. And it was time to kind of stretch out a little, little bit and probably look at more kind of senior pastor level, uh, kind of soul teacher uh, level. And a friend of mine here in the state said, hey, there's this church that's looking for a pastor. It's kind of got a good reputation over the years. Um, why not try it out? Have an adventure. Um, so, <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? Have let's just adventure. do that. You know, I've got twin two-year-olds, but let's just go for it. Um, so we, have, we applied for the job and, and, and they accepted us and we went out to North Dakota. Um, but the visa process at that time was super complicated. And so we were only able to kind of fly backwards and forwards. So I basically pastored the church for six months in person. And for the other six months, I did it via online phone calls, emails, preached via video link for, through oh, the wow. week. It was it was a bit of a messy situation. Yeah. Love the people up there. It was a real experience for us. But um, at the end of a, a kind of year and a half trying to get a visa, the lawyer said it's going to be at least another two years. And I just wow. I just couldn't do that to the church and, and keep them in limbo land. Um, so we kind of said, you know, we love you, but but we need to release ourselves and you to go and find somebody else. And right. in fact, they actually found somebody else within a couple of months. Wow. And it was fairly obvious that God was just saying, actually, you're not the guy for now. But it was a, a wonderful time. What I will say is in one year, we did 26 flights in total. And um, yeah, the twins were two years old. And all I will say is I just started when we got into every plane we went onto. I just was like, I'm really sorry to everybody <laughs> before we even started. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I appreciate yeah. that, that you want a nice flight. It's not going to happen. But they cry in Scottish. So it's a little more. <laughs> to be honest, listenable. twins cry in unison. So oh, most okay. children cry and then take a breath. Yeah. Well, just imagine if your twins cry at opposite times. So there is no breathtaking. <laughs> There's no breath. It's just a constant cry. Yeah. So try that for nine hours in a plane. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, at some point, you went to um, Spurgeon's College, yeah? The, the, I, ori- the original. The Co-classic. original, yeah. So I studied actually online um, with Spurgeon's College UK. Okay. It was one of those things of, uh, do you remember I said 21, 22? I know everything. I know yeah, what yeah. I'm doing. Uh, it turned out I, I knew nothing um, <laughs> and so needed to learn a little bit and, and kind of delve into studies. But with family life and full-time ministry, online was really the only option I had at the time. So studied at Spurgeon's College. That was kind of a rough ride. Uh, The jobs I was doing, it was kind of full-time plus the hours were kind of insane. So I was just trying to manage studies. Some of the studies was good. Some of it was not so much. Some (laughs) some results were really good. Okay. Uh, Some not so much. Okay. Um, But yeah, no, I was grateful for the time because actually uh, studying at Spurgeon's helped me understand what I did and did not believe. Um, and I think early in ministry, you don't always know that. Right. Um, you're given a situation. You think, hey, I'll do this. And then when you find yourself in that situation, you can quickly flip-flop and, and change your mind. And so studying at Spurgeon's actually taught me what I actually do know mm. and what I do believe com- compared to what I've just heard and assume I believe. Yeah. So at some point, you decide you're going to pull up stakes. You're going to get on that boat to, uh, <laughs> out to Ellis Island <laughs> and then make the wagon journey. Yeah. To Kansas City. What prompted that? Why? Hey, hey, folks, let's go to Kansas City. And why Kansas City? Yeah. So to be honest, I'm going to say the dreaded word of COVID. Um, (laughs) I know I know everyone is kind of fed up talking about it. But essentially for us, I was in a church ministry that, you know, I never dreamed that I would serve as a senior pastor and close the doors of a church. You know, I never dreamed that that would be part of my legacy during COVID and, and the lockdown in the UK that I would have to close a church building. 
But we spent 18 months online as a church because wow. in the UK, the restrictions were much tighter than they were here in the States. And so I was working 100-hour weeks for months. And, and I don't exaggerate that. I know when we talk about lots of hours, people exaggerate it to make it look tough. But that was real life for us. I remember just not seeing my children really ever for, for the, that time. Wonderful blessing to our church. Our church expanded. It grew dramatically. We see we saw souls saved, baptisms, you know, wonderful increase. I think our membership increased something like 60% in, in 18 months. Wow. It was incredible, but it was coming at the cost of, of my health. I was <laughs> gaining a significant amount of weight from the snacks that I was eating in the office. <laughs> okay. And I just never went outside. I was just constantly uh, working. And I had said to my wife, something needs to break here because I am just... I'm just not coping with the pressure that I'm under. And so we decided maybe I need to just do something else and have a bit of joy somewhere else. And I'd always wanted to pursue further studies at a kind of master's level. I'd been in ministry at this point eight, nine years, and I thought, I, I want to delve in the deep end of theological studies. So originally I had asked our church, hey, would you mind if I study online and continue to work full time? And my loving church said, you're crazy. <laughs> you, you can't do both at the same time. Mm. You're already working 100 hour weeks. Where are you going to fit this study and go away and have a think about what you really want to do? Yeah. And so Miriam and I spent um, about three or four months really just talking through what is the ultimate aim in our ministry and what is it we want to do with our family as well. And so we applied to multiple colleges to find out uh, where we could study and what we could do. And I return to the, our leadership, our church leadership, and say, hey, nearly every door is opening to us. And they were loving. They said, keep pushing them, see where you're going to go. And it came to head about uh, July, August of last year. There was multiple steps in a process to move to the States. Every step had gone through without fault, with no issue. And it came down to the, the matter of, shall we move? Mm. And uh, all I'll say is uh, I'm not a very cautious individual. I'm a risk taker. <laughs> okay. So uh, I was just like, hey, we're going. We're going. Mm -hmm. And Miriam was like, maybe we should think about this a little <laughs> bit. You know, we're going to move our whole family. We yeah. had a, a great church setting, a wonderful home. Everything was secure. We could have been in that church 15 years. Everything was there. But there was just this deep thing happening inside me that God was saying, you still don't know enough. You still need to learn. You need to humble yourself and realize mm -hmm. For, you, for me to use you for the next three, four decades, I need you to know more. I had so many gaps in my knowledge that I was like, actually, I can see this. So we really sadly actually resigned from our, from our church um, in November, I think it was, last year. It was really sad because we, we wanted to stay and they wanted us to stay, but we knew God was doing something else in the background here. Oh. Um, and, and then we literally hopped on a plane and moved with 10 boxes. Um, that was it, 10 boxes, five boxes of books, five boxes of toys, and a few suitcases of, of clothes. And we moved <laughs> uh, seven days before Christmas. Um, and this, <laughs> it's just, I, I, yeah, okay. it was crazy. But yeah. now we're here. Do you know, I, I really don't regret the decision one, one job, not at all. Mm. Um, I've learned so much in this last five months. I can't wait for the next few years, but also just different ministries I've been able to get involved in here. And I say this without a slight on, on the church we were serving in, uh, the weight of carrying, you know, 150 souls on your heart and mind every day through a period of COVID where we were seeing deaths and se severe health issues. Yeah. That weight, I, I hadn't realized how much that was kind of wrecking my own heart 
because I think I was trying to do it in my own my own ability. I, I was trying to I was trying to be everyone's savior in that moment and not pointing them to Christ. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I needed that break. I've I've had five months of a break now, and Miriam's like, "You need to get out of the house. I, I'm done <laughs> with you being here." And to be honest, I'm itching to do more because I'm that type of guy. I, I like to work. I like to serve. And so five months is probably enough of a break for me. I'm ready to go for the next thing. So. Okay. Well, so you're pursuing your MDiv here. Yeah, at I'm actually soon to change it. I'm actually oh. going to be um, duly enrolling. So, hey, if you're a okay. Midwestern student, just so you know, this is my job, academic advising. Yeah. You can uh, duly enroll. So I'm actually going to be doing an MTS, preaching and pastoral ministry, and an MDiv in biblical languages and do them both together at the same time. So. How does that work? Do are there credits? There's just a lot of study. <laughs> no, I mean, are there credits that don't, that serve yeah. as? Yeah, so the MTS okay. has credits that serve the MDiv, and so you can duly enroll. The MTS yeah. is kind of the it's about half of the MDiv. People didn't know they were going to be getting an advertisement for this. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know either. Hey, I'm my job curious. title is academic advisor. I got to advise okay. someone with okay. academics, don't I? So, all right. Well, let's go. Let's go back. I want to talk about. Um, we have a recurring series on on this podcast where we talk to different people about different ministry missional contexts. What does ministry look like in your era? We talked to Ed Romine about Mormon Utah. We talked to David McLemore about uh, ministry in the Bible Belt. Talked to Chris Thomas about Australia. Um, there's been other folks as well. Um, um, we talked about New England. So I want to know, I think our listeners would be interested, in, what does ministry and mission look like? What's the missional context of Scotland, or at least your, I don't want to assume it's monolithic, where you're uh, where you were last pastoring, what's that context like? It's, it's very different from the States. Okay. Uh, that's the, the straight thing I can say. The first thing I would say is the general norm of, of the population of the UK have an indifference to God. And okay. In fact, most people just don't even know what they believe. And on general surveys, you would see about 50-50 of the population would say that they're they're a Christian or they believe in God and, and they're not or they're some other religion. The reality is... The average Joe on the street doesn't really care about God and actually has a complete indifference to any form of evangelism. And you just kind of get waved on if you do evangelism. So you're kind of in a fairly dark aspect of you're starting from a place where people don't know anything about God and don't really care about where they're going. Very much in Scotland, that would be the case. In England, it's more that uh, British stiff upper lip where you don't talk about certain things. So right, okay. politics, health, and religion are the three topics you just don't talk about. And if you do, you're that weird guy in the corner <laughs> on your own, essentially. Okay. But because of that, as a general, the average church attendance in the UK is about 50 people for a church. So actually, our churches are quite small. And we're moving towards, certainly in the state churches, Church of Scotland, Church of England, these types of churches, to one pastor to four churches. And they just go to one church per week and then repeat. So in the general norm, it's a fairly dark environment in terms of God is just not a common thing. I I feel like in the States, you could go into any store and there's somebody in that store that believes in God. There's somebody in that store. Well, it depends on where you are, because what you're (laughs) describing sounds like New England. Like where I last pastored, it was a very similar thing, Um, you know, 2% maybe identified with some sort of religious thing. And if you talk to somebody, they would say, 
I'm spiritual, but I'm not yeah. religious. And what that means, what I what I discovered is what that means is they literally never think about anything spiritual or religious until someone like me asks them about it. <laughs> so, like you said, they're they're not thinking about God no, ever. No, yeah. and and because of that, I think there has been a massive increase in a Pentecostal charismatic style church. Okay, because um, people don't want religion, and they view evangelical conservative Christianity as religion. Yeah. They see it as rule based. Um, and, and therefore, they want something lighter, happier. Yeah. And so they'll go to church either for a kind of moral reason. And those are usually churches that, you know, the sermon's 10 minutes long and, you know, it's just some random chap talking some words. Yeah. Or they'll go to a church that makes them feel good. And so in the last setting I was in, there's about 33 churches in the city. Easily 30 of them were, were Pentecostal charismatic. Wow. Um, and and and. When I say that, what I'm saying is if you don't feel good when you've left church, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. It's all about that feeling of goodness, um, you know, smoke machines, all this sort of stuff, you know, this sort of world. <laughs> but in terms of conservative Christianity, evangelical church, and what I mean by that is people that genuinely believe that, that God's word is the final authority in all matters and genuinely believe the gospel and preach it, only 3% of the UK is defined as evangelical conservative. Yeah which is an incredibly low number for, yeah. a, uh, for a country that has a rich history of um, Christianity. Right. Um, and it just, it's, it's just a kind. And what I would say is you would see small pockets. So there is a couple of different uh, fellowship of churches that are doing fantastic work. And those are small pockets. And we see great progression in evangelism and church growth and church planting. But as a norm across the whole of the UK, Christianity is kind of holding steady, if not shrinking somewhat. Just even in describing yourself as as a Christian. I say that very loosely in the census 10 years ago to just a couple of years ago. There's been a 10% decrease in loose association with Christianity. And who knows why that is, but ultimately what we're seeing is we're generally in a fairly dark environment. What that means in terms of church ministry is that the norm is sole pastor. Um, so there's, there's, there's not really multi-pastor churches. There are a few, of course, but the norm is uh, one guy and, and increasingly more so one woman as well that would serve a church as, as the sole pastor. They would do, I don't know if you have the phrase here, but the jack of all trades, they yeah. would literally do everything from building maintenance to preaching the sermon to pastoral care and hospital visits. So that sole pastor model means that you're actually having more and more guys burning out because they just can't cope with right. that amount of pressure and therefore more and more churches without pastors and therefore you continue to have these churches shrinking. Um, and, and I think the other thing I would say is that when you think about all of this as to, well, how, do, how would we change that? You know, how do we become more missional? How do we change pastors to, to really focus on, on the word of God as impactful in people's lives? You would think about training. You would think about we're sitting here at Midwestern. You know, plenty of students are doing their undergrads, their masters, their MDivs. In the UK, that's not really a thing. So mm. there are training schools. You can go to Spurgeon's. You can go to Moorland's. You can go to Union Theology, multiple places. But as a norm, pastors will be seen in their church and they'll just be given the role. And so they wow. go into being a pastor. I was one of them. There was multiple guys I know that are like that where they just get told, hey, we, we've prayed you in as the pastor. We don't <laughs> yeah. need you to be trained. We need you to preach. Mm. And therefore, you just have a whole a spectrum of types of churches with untrained pastors pressurized as sole pastor model in an environment that doesn't really want to hear about God. Yeah. So it's, it's a really difficult place to serve. And actually, when we left to come here to the States, the common thread of all conversations was, please come back. 
We need pastors. We need people to to bring the gospel um, to our country. And interestingly, as part of my work here at Midwestern, I talked to a student yesterday who's actually becoming a missionary in Glasgow in Scotland, which is just, in my wow. mind, seems crazy yeah. that Americans are going to Scotland <clears throat> to set up missional work. But the reality yeah. is I don't think we could classify the UK as a, a Christian country anymore. I think mm. it's post-Christendom there. And, and I think the reality is it's becoming harder and harder to serve and to love Christ in the UK. Yeah. Um, what would you say? So historically, you know, going back, where was what was the turning point to this decline to where it is now? So, for instance, when I'm thinking about New England, like there was a period where, you know, so once the hotbed, you know, you, you know, the hotbed of Protestant theology, um, the first great awakening, so on and so forth. Um, but then there was a large, you know, long period where it was dominated by Roman Catholicism. And then coming out of that now just almost a you know irreligious you know place so it's it's been interesting to kind of track historically sort of that shift what would you say has taken place in Scotland that is strange kind of thing is it's really modern so huh. if if you go to um you know 30 years ago we wouldn't be talking about it in this oh, way interesting. um it's been a very modern approach so um I would place that mainly on the denominations. So there's certain denominations that are are general norm in in just about every city in in the UK. And in the last 20 to 30 years, with the rise of kind of key issues, LGBTQ issues, um, issues in terms of how churches should be built and served and and all these sorts of things, these key issues have really become rampant in terms of conversations and, and the changes within these denominations just things like uh, the Baptist Union 40 years ago made some changes theologically mm. and you had a massive split and that change has continued to develop over the last 40 years. The Church of Scotland, Church of England started to loosen their theology 30 years ago and that's just progressing and progressing and progressing. Right. The Methodist Church now has gone through a massive split in the UK. But I would say the big, big change last 10 years, um, it's, you know, during COVID, the government set different rules for churches, and it was just so obvious that the government had no idea what the role of the church was. Yeah. The single thing they thought the church was for was for praying. So they would allow churches to be open for people to come and pray. They had no idea about singing, no idea about <laughs> preaching, no idea right. about fellowship meals, none of that. It was yeah. just, you go to church to pray. And that shift, I would say, has been in the last 30 years. I, I even remember as a kid, it was fairly common. I could say in school, hey, I'm going to church on Sunday. And there'd be a handful of people in school that would be doing so. You do that now, I, I think you would struggle in the UK to find somebody that would be going to school and going to church on a Sunday. Oh. So I think it's a fairly modern approach. And, it, and I would personally say it's theological changes for the modern society to fit in to modern society. Yeah. The church is getting weaker on its message. I say this as a norm. There are a few denominations and fellowships of churches that are doing phenomenal work. Um, I was a part of a few of them for a few years, and they're doing great work, hold tight to God's word, holding firm, actually lobby our government to hold firm to certain beliefs. But as a norm, your state churches and your big denominations are going to a fairly liberal theology and that's in the last 30 years, which seems really strange that in my lifetime yeah, it's yeah. changing. Things happen, you know, seismic shifts mm-hmm. can happen very, very quickly. Okay, um, just to kind of wrap things up, put a bow on them, what, what do you see, so five, ten years from now, what kind of church does Scotland need? What kind of pastor, um, you know, suits bringing the gospel to this particular 
you know, opportunity. Yeah, I, I think for Scotland specifically, we need Scottish pastors. Yeah. So I don't know about other countries, but in Scotland, we need people in Scotland to grow up in the church, to love God's people and have a desire to serve mm. the church in Scotland. Something about local guys serving local churches yes. is incredible. But in terms of in terms of what type of pastor, we need passionate guys that genuinely love Jesus, that genuinely want to see souls saved and nurtured in Christ. Far too many guys are being super rule-based, legalistic, serious, and that portrays in our society as we're just the religious people that stop you doing things. Where <laughs> Imagine if we went out into our churches, into our communities and said, hey, I love Jesus and I love you, and it is a phenomenal way of living because mm. my eternity is secure, and therefore I am passionate about sharing with you this wonderful love of Christ. I know a few guys like that and their ministries are exploding in terms of how they are growing because they just exude the joy of Christ That's and the joy great. of the gospel. So for me, I think uh, Scottish people generally are quite doer and, and miserable. So um, <laughs> so we need somebody to kind of awaken us out of that and remind us it's not just dark, rainy, windy, cold. It's in fact, yeah. you know, eternity is just waiting for us. Mm. And, and if we can have more guys like that, that would be a phenomenal change to our church ministry. Yeah, may the Lord raise them up. Mm. Brother, Ross Ferguson, it's been great talking with you. Good to be here. And just so everybody knows, the Scottish accent is better than the Texan accent. The Texan accent. Is that what I have? Well, sounds a bit <laughs> like it to me. I've been told I don't really have – I mean, I know everyone has an accent. But what people expect Texas to sound like, which is the you're draw. Gonna, are you going to give us I one? I don't have that. No, I don't know how to even imitate <laughs> it. I mean, I grew up on, on the, uh, in the Rio Grande Valley, which is like on the border of Mexico, in the, like way, way down south. So any accent that I would have had would have been largely sort of almost like, you know, Hispanic even, you know, coming out. Because my father um, is biracial. My grandmother is, uh, um, is from Mexico. And I grew up with uh, – I was like the only white kid with a bunch of, his, you know, Hispanic friends. So any accent I had would have been more, you know, Latino, I guess, if I had one. Well, but, that's a lot know. of nuance for me. You just, <laughs> you just sound American to me. Uh, uh, right. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I assume I sound American. I assume with I just sound Texas like a white guy. <laughs> but I don't know about the Texas twang. I have a te- you know, I don't know. Is that what it sounds like? like the, I mean, that's a generic southern accent. Yeah. <laughs> just like where you're from, brother – People here, they're very specific. Like, there's no such thing as a southern accent. There's Georgia. There's Alabama. There's yeah. there's flavors to it, right? There's nuances to it. Well, this is a bonus conversation on top of the <laughs> top of the regular conversation. I've been speaking with Ross Ferguson, academic advisor at Midwestern Seminary and MDiv student, and a member at Liberty Baptist Church. We're Covenant brothers here. If you enjoy the podcast, your listener, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.